I only had about uh, a week to prepare this message, um, so apologies if it seems um, a bit brief. Um, but I decided to talk about something which I should know fairly well, which is myself. Um, and as we're talking about identity, I thought it would be quite a good start um, for me. Um, so at Grace's Vineyard, we're in a, talk, a season of talking about identity. And we're talking about it because I think there has never been a time where there's been more confusion about identity, about where it comes from, how we can find it, and how we should think about it. And today, I'm going to be talking from my own experience, touching on issues that have affected my own search for identity, which, to be honest, isn't over yet. Um, And it's really my prayer that you would come to know me more through this, so that you would be encouraged by my testimony, and that we would continue to build a church that builds community from the inside out, that we would know each other well, and out of that, people we meet would see that we desire to have good relationship with each other, and that's why we want to have good relationship with them. And so, I just want to quickly pray, um, as I'm going to need it. <laughs> so, Lord, I just pray that you would give me the courage to speak clearly about my story, about what you have done in my life, who you have been, and what you have done. And I pray that... Yeah, you would give me the words I need to be, to be clear, to be concise, that I would speak to things that you've already planted in people's hearts. And yeah, I just pray it go, would go well, Lord. <laughs> so, my particular part of this story begins at the end of 2014. I was living in Cologne in Germany, where I'd lived for the last four years. The first two years that I spent there, in many ways, were quite idyllic. You see, I went out to Germany quite bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, ready to take on any challenge, and everything was amazing. I mean, a friend of mine that I knew professionally had, had kind of invited me to go out there, and it was like going to discover the new world. I was going away from home. It was actually, going on the interview was the first time I'd ever been on a plane, and uh, a few weeks later, I left the country that I'd grown up in, and I was working somewhere else. I mean, I was doing a job that I really enjoyed with people that I liked, and I was enjoying living in that foreign land and gaining all the experiences that you encounter doing that. And I'd even managed to find an English-speaking church I was comfortable with, and and it was a church that really reminded me of home. And it's just something that... It just felt that everything was going so well. But after those first two years, Mikhail, my friend, uh, some of you may have met him if you came to uh, the wedding, um, he decided that he wanted to move back to Finland, which is where he came from. And the friend who had brought me out to Germany left... And with one thing or another, my life began to change. The company I was working for came upon hard times, and the team I was working with got decimated, until really it was just me and Mikhail working together, albeit from different countries. Life wasn't really ending up quite like I imagined, 
and I started finding the loneliness more difficult. I missed England more and more. But as time went on, I felt more and more stuck where I was. I started focusing more and more on my work life and started taking on more and more responsibility at work, which I think began to drive something of a wedge between me and Mikhail. He had brought me into the company, and I think he saw himself as something as a mentor for me. But as I began to progress up the ranks, he felt like, in a way, I had overtaken him, and I think we both found that very difficult for our working relationship. Things didn't really get any easier at work, and the worse that things got, the more I pushed myself. Work became my singular driving force, and everything else just ended up taking a back seat, particularly when it came to my home life. You see, I was renting an apartment in Cologne, and like anything that wasn't work-related, it had been getting neglected. And in many ways, it was a bit of a metaphor for my life at that point in time. I was currently sleeping on a mattress on the floor because my bed had broken. One of the glass doors had fallen off my shower. The damp from the bathroom was leaching through the wall into the living area, and it was growing mold. The uh, kitchen wasn't much better. The top probably hadn't been had a thorough clean in some months. And some weeks before, the kitchen sink had started to get clogged, and now it had an ever-present puddle of stagnant water. And this was where I had to do my sleeping, and this was where I had to do my cooking, and it wasn't having a good effect on me. My health had been getting worse for some days now. I'd been on, uh, well, max-dose ibuprofen every day for almost two weeks because of the headaches, which were... To be honest, very uncommon for me. And I could feel myself getting sicker and sicker. But with work being at the top of my list, I really wasn't able to do anything about it. I'd called mum a few days before because after having a stubborn cough for a number of days, it was starting to get painful when I was breathing. But I was sufficiently reassured by her that it wasn't something nasty, that I admit I put it out of my mind and refocused my attempts on work. On the day that it was at its worst, I, I left work early, which probably says more about the kind of state I was in than anything else, having never really done that in a day in my entire life. And the only thing I could remember was that the, the coughing, which had gotten pretty bad, um, started incessantly from the moment I laid down on my bed. I lay on that bed for hours, coughing until there was nothing to cough up, And then I continued. By the time night had fallen, it had gotten painful to breathe. And as I continued to cough, I started getting abdominal pain. And it started to get worse and worse until I swear I heard one of my ribs crack. That night, I don't think I'd felt ever so alone. And I was acutely aware that if I died during the night, then it might have been days before my body was found. And it was all more than I could really bear. I'd struggled a lot with pornography when I was younger. I was exposed to it from a young age, and it damaged me, just as it damages kids every day that are exposed to it. It was something that I felt was mostly under control at 
in my life at that point. But at that moment, I was powerless against it. And despite the way I was feeling, that was the thing that I did. Go to the next slide. There are times when you read through Romans, you read this verse, and you really dislike how much Paul was right about what he said. Because I really can't describe how much I hated myself in that moment. All those years ago, when I struggled with it when I was a lot younger, I made a promise that I would never return to those things. And there I was, ten years later, realizing that absolutely nothing had changed. I was no better than I'd ever been, and I felt wretched for it. Yet, despite what I was feeling, there was a glimmer, perhaps just a memory of hope. You see, I realized that my past had caught up with me and that there was nothing more to run from. I felt like, even if my time was up, that I could do one last thing, and that was to feel whole for a moment and to face God. That I could look at him being who I really was and be seen by him. And so I did. I took the knowledge of all that I had done now and in the past, all that I was, and I laid it before God. I made no more more excuses, no more denials, no more deceptions. I made no attempt to convince myself of my innocence, but surrendered myself to my fate. And I trusted God to deal with me justly, taking comfort in knowing that finally I would be set right with God. I'm not sure what I expected to happen, but what did happen was that in an instant I felt my sin lose its weight. And in my heart I felt justified by God. And the moment had a finality about it. It felt like justice had been done and yet God had not turned away from me like I thought he should. And, you know, this happened a couple of years ago and the, mysterious of it, the mysteriousness of it leaves you struggling to really understand what really happened, what you were really feeling at the moment. And while I was writing this message, I came across uh, an old hymn that I think really describes it really well, which i just go through now if you go to the next slide. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O light that followest all my way, I yield my flickering torch to thee. My heart restores its borrowed ray, that in thy sunshine's blaze its day may brighter, fairer be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. 
I lay in dust, life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red, life that shall endless be. God encountered me that night, and after he delivered me from my fate, he sat with me until the morning light, and I cried for forgiveness for all that I had done to hurt him. And for the first time in my life, my conscience felt light as I had found true repentance. In ways that I may never fully understand, God began to change my life. He took me out of that apartment, out of that work situation, and out of that country, and he kept me safe. But, if we go to the next slide. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. I don't know how many people know the story of um, John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. But he says that after he'd had his encounter with God, after he'd felt um, finally peace with God, he continued to go out onto onto the slave ships two or three times, And the thing that stopped him in the end was he had a stroke. He wasn't able to do it anymore. And it reminded me of this verse, and it reminded me of my story, because there are times where we have these encounters with God, and so quickly we forget what he has done. And we feel awful because of it. Because, you see, like the Israelites, I experienced my own forgetfulness. And it wasn't even a year before I found myself running headlong into the very thing that God had saved me from. You see, one of the things that happened when I, um, when I left Germany was that I set up my own business so that I could continue working for the same company. In many ways, it was one of the ways which I managed to get out of that situation. But the problem was it presented a temptation The temptation to try and build a business and to change the world. That's how I looked on it. So somehow, once again, my life became all about work. I worked on my regular job for eight hours. I worked on my projects for my own businesses for two hours. Then I proceeded to write for two hours. Then I slept for 12 hours. I did that day after day after day after day for two months. And in many ways, it worked. I was very uh, productive. I managed to create things. I'm a software engineer by trade. And when I look back on what I did, I still today am very impressed, uh, despite the fact it was, you know, a few years ago now, and I've advanced in some ways. But I was completely oblivious to the effect that that work was having on my body, and particularly on my mind. And by the end of those two months, for the first time in my career, I had to take two weeks off work for health reasons. The mental strain that I put myself under would have lasting effects. You may sometimes hear me say that work is really busy and that I might need to work overtime, but I doubt many realize why that is such a big deal for me. 
Two years ago, I would not have had the mental fortitude to even contemplate going into work on a Saturday. I could barely even manage an eight-hour day without suffering from mental exhaustion because of the damage that I'd done to myself in that two-month period. And the fact I can do it now, to be honest, is nothing less than a miracle. Let me go to the next slide. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. I got sick, and then I got sick in a different way, because they were my plans, they weren't God's plans. And it was made abundantly clear to me that my plans were off the table. And with my business ventures thwarted, I'm sorry to say that my mind turned to relationships. If I thought my work plans backfired, it was nothing compared to the romantic relationships that I um, experienced. You see, I tried to be the perfect boyfriend, to be caring and loving, understanding and funny, and things always seemed great in the beginning, but it never took long for the cracks to show. I've never been good with conflict, and this has been intensified in relationships because of my own insecurities. Because I struggled so much with my own feelings of insignificance, I was extremely wary of having conversations that would confirm my own fears about the future of the relationship because of who I was. The relationship I had at that point was no different in that respect, and within weeks, the resentment between us grew, followed by emotional breakdown, followed by an eventual final blow-up that killed the relationship. I was stuck. Whatever the situation, I kept coming back to the same problem, trying to be somebody that I'm not. This time, though, I didn't have any other plans up my sleeves. I didn't know what else I could do. Every avenue had had been blocked off except for one. I did the only thing that had ever worked, and that was taking it to God. So, I walked into a church, and there I met people, and it seemed sad to say, but they were delighted to see me even though they knew nothing about me that I didn't have to impress them, that nothing I did really impressed them, and they still liked me. And in that church, I started to learn how to raise my voice to the Lord, to lift up my hands in praise, and to pray for others with my voice and my hands and my heart. But most importantly, I learned to bring my troubles before the Lord, knowing that he is good, mighty in power, and faithful in all his ways. And after all the pain and all the heartbreak and all the disappointments, I started to look for a God who was not disappointing, a God who loved as much as I could imagine it was possible to love, A God who put everything right in the end. A God who is not undone or unmade through science. A God who lives and breathes through scripture. 
a God who gives hope its substance. As I worshipped and as I read, I learned to trust the Lord with my life and my future. But more than that, I, believed to, I began to believe that he was the one who made me. And he did understand me and all my ways, and so I could take my questions to him. So months after I walked into that church, I asked him, why did you make me this way? And I have to admit, the only answer I ever received was, I did not make a mistake. But in many ways, that was the answer that I needed. I felt like maybe, just maybe, it didn't have to be down to me anymore. I didn't have to fix things by myself. That if God was in control of me, of this, then he could be in control of everything. He could be responsible for everything. And although there are things that scared me about that, I felt like it was okay and that things were going to be okay. That was the last time I questioned God in that way, and I can't help but think that perhaps he was right because there is not a thing that has happened to me that I would not endure knowing that Jesus endures it with me. And all that I have experienced helps me to care for those people around me even more. And I know now that nothing is wasted. And all the challenges I have faced in the past and that are still to come will help Jesus to be a friend to others just as he has been a friend to me. And I couldn't be happier for that. Last slide. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's nothing for it but to start to recognize that God is making us righteous, whether we like it or not. Um, And so I I would really just implore everyone, um, if you're not yet planning to go to our connect groups, to go to them, because... God has enough reconciliation for us all, not just for the things which are blocking him from us, but the things that aren't right in our lives. And I don't think there's anyone here today who could say that everything is perfect. So I I just pray that everyone would take this season to, to encounter God once again, to remember what he's done for us, and to ask those questions, those hard questions that maybe will help us to be reconciled once more. Amen.